So, before we get into the talk proper, I would like to start with a prayer by St. Teresa of Avila. She says, Hope, O my soul, hope. You know neither the day nor the hour. Watch carefully, for everything passes quickly. Even though your impatience makes doubtful what is certain and turns a very short time into a long one. Dream that the more you struggle, the more you prove the love that you bear your God, and the more you will rejoice one day with your beloved in a happiness and rapture that can never end. Lord Jesus, we ask that you may give us that hope that may guide us in our lives, that hope that will anchor us in stormy seas, that hope that may give us strength to move forward when life is difficult and we feel surrounded by darkness. We ask, dear Lord, that you bless us during this time that we reflect on this great virtue. We make this prayer as we make all of our prayers in the most powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So my mom's name is Hope. Now, some of you might be glaring at me. Actually, a few of you were saying, like, Father Michael, you are a liar. I know your mom. Her name's Natalia. Eh, kind of. Her birth name is actually Najea. But she changed it legally to Natalia later on in life when she turned 18 because school kids are mean. And, and there would be some school kids. So long story of my mom's life. Uh, she was born in a Siberian work camp, and when she was six years old, her whole family was able to move back to Poland, and that's where she was raised, but she had a Russian-sounding name, got made fun of, and the kids would say, Nadzieja, Nadzieja, matka kupi, which we all know means, hope, hope, mother of fools, because, you know, people who just wishful think say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope that this will happen, but then do nothing to make it happen. Yeah, that, that's a fool. And so there was this saying that hope is the mother of fools. Well, I'm the fool whose mother is hope, right? Um, she changed her name because of that. But I think that phrase is a good place to start. Because I think a lot of us feel foolish hoping these days. Because there's so many things in our lives, in our world, in our church, in our families, in our own souls that make hope really difficult. And so I think it'd be good to start on a downer, right? Let's reflect just for a little bit. What was it that has made hope difficult for you lately? So think about it for a second. And now maybe offer some suggestions. Social media. Social media, okay. What else? And we'll strike the balance here between being weirdly too autobiographical and just complaining about people. Because uh, sometimes people will say, like, they'll raise their hands and, like, five minutes later, it's like, okay, you've had a rough week. All right, so social media, what else? Fear. Fear. What else? Sickness. Sickness, yes. Loss, absolutely. Division in the church? 
division in the church. This bishop says that, that bishop says this. What are we to believe? Loneliness. Loneliness, absolutely. Division in the family. Division in the family. War. War. What is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Is that what you were going to say? Things not working out. So we can probably think of so many reasons why hope is difficult. But notice that that's the way I phrase it. I say what has made hope difficult. I don't say what has taken your hope away from you. Because hope, much like the thing that springs from hope, which is joy, is something that cannot be taken from you. Because if it is a gift given by God Almighty, there is not a force in this universe powerful enough to take it away from you. Right? Jesus says, I will give you a joy and the world cannot take it from you. He also gives with his Holy Spirit hope. It is your birthright, in fact, as a baptized son or daughter of God, your birthright are the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. It's something that you have a guarantee that God has given. And so they cannot be taken from you, but they can be forfeited. And so we can ask ourselves, what has led me to forfeit my hope? What has made it difficult to hope in such a way that I just gave it over? And I said, to this circumstance, to this fear that I may have, I, to my own weakness, I, I just hand over my hope. Because it's kind of like, uh, do you all remember the story of Jacob and Esau? Who can give me a quick summary? Jacob and Esau, what were they to each other? They were brothers. They're... Esau sold his birthright for... Yeah, See, that, that dude loved porridge, right? And so, so he was just really hungry one day, and Jacob, who's clever, um, maybe sometimes sinfully clever at some points, right? He says, ooh, I know, my brother's in a desperate position. You want this porridge? Ah, sell me your birthright. Now we think, that is absurd. Who would ever sell their birthright over something so little? And yet that's what we do. When we, and this is in the case of like mortal sin, when we forfeit our birthright for the sake of a passing moment's desire. But I, I, I think when we get out of just the level of like sin and judgment, when we go to the despair that we have been swimming in and imbibing, we realize it doesn't have to be that way. Just because there's a lot of reasons to not have natural human hope, just because I might not be able to put all of my hope in a political party, I might not be able to put all of my hope in a family member, I might not be able to put all of my hope into my own strength even, to, to keep going forward and keep doing the right thing, that doesn't mean that I am hopeless. Because there is a firmer foundation for my faith and hope than myself, than politics, than world leaders, than even my family or my friends. And that's, I think, what we need to speak of today. Because if you're looking for just a quick how-to of like how to survive life today and not go crazy, sorry, I don't have a silver bullet to give you all. But I do have some directions that we can take our reflections. 
I'd like to start with the Catechism of the Catholic Church, right? That wonderful thing that I think a lot of us are diving into this year in a renewed way. Is anybody here doing catechism in a year? Yeah, the other Father Mike, the lesser known one, he's doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah, and, and where he's leading us through it. And it's a document worth praying with. Because it is, it is the fruit of... 2,000 years of reflection on the sacred mysteries of sacred scripture and sacred tradition. I guess the sacred mysteries are more of the liturgy. But, but it is reflection on that, and then it's a, a place where we can turn to say, all right, in the midst of all this confusion, division in the church, this guy says that, this other one says this, my Aunt Cheryl says this, and some other guy says this. I go to this, uh, this parish, and the pastor is preaching this. I go to this other one, and the pastor is preaching this. What, at the end of the day, is Catholicism? Well, we have a place to look and to say, oh, okay, that's what it is. Turns out, four of those five people were wrong. Okay, at least I know where to get what's right. So, we turn to the Catechism, and it says, Hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness. Placing our trust in God's promises... And relying not on our own strength, but on the help of the grace of the Holy Spirit. Right, so there's a lot to unpack there. First, it's the theological virtue. Pause button. What is a theological virtue? Who can tell me? What is theos? Exactly, you're all thinking it. Theos means God. Theological means that this is something given by God. Uh, the human virtues are those that we acquire through interior acts of like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to act courageously enough times to where I acquire that virtue of courage, and it becomes like a second nature for me. But that's something that I'm acquiring through my action. Yes, grace helps me to do that, but it's something that, that I can do. Theological means God has given it. It is infused into me, and without God's help, I can't possibly attain this. So it's a theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our happiness. So we realize part of why we get hope confused with wishful thinking is we're only thinking of when I say, like, oh, I hope the Mavs who are playing right now, I hope they win their game. I hope that there's going to be a snow day. I hope for, you know little things, and we're setting our sights pretty low. The theological virtue of hope goes all the way to the tippy top, further than our nature could ever expect or demand. Greater than our greatest wishes is the kingdom of heaven and eternal life as our total happiness. So, one quick thing. The kingdom of heaven, what is it? Jesus talks about it all the time, and yet seldom do we priests preach about it, which is to our own shame. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Say somebody overheard us right now and says like, huh, I wonder what the kingdom of heaven is. And you're on your way to the bathroom and they stop you and they say, what's the kingdom of heaven? What do you tell them? The participation is just overwhelming tonight. <laughs> so the kingdom of heaven is the presence of Jesus. 
Sometimes we think of it too much in terms of the far distant future, the distant future. Uh, we, we think of it as something far away from me in time and in space. It is where God has made all things right, and it couldn't be further from the city of man that I inhabit right now. But Jesus didn't come just to give us a future. He came to change our present. So the kingdom of heaven could also be understood as the reign of God. And that reign begins here and now. So when I say that hope is the theological, that means God-given, virtue to desire the kingdom of heaven, it means it gives me the courage to actually to, to want something that is so beyond my nature. But to have a reason to want it and a reason to trust that it's being given because I trust the one who's made that promise. And that what that is being given is not just some distant uh, future reward, right? That's, that's the theology of the suck. Have you ever heard that? So it's basically, it's more in a military context. So sorry if you're offended by the word suck, but I'm going to say it a few more times. So the theology of the suck is that basically life sucks. But if you can get through it and get through it in such a way that even though life sucks, you don't suck. Right? And you become an alright person, then God rewards you with a party. And that's kind of how we see our Christian life, as it's it's just drudgery now for the sake of something good later. And that's what we hear when we read hope is the theological virtue by which we desire the kingdom of heaven and eternal life. We think, oh, after everything that's terrible now. I get a relief from all this suffering. But that kind of a hope that is always punting happiness to someday later, it can't get us through the difficulty of our lives. And that's the very purpose of hope. Hope is that which moves us to pursue an arduous, so very difficult good that we believe is possible. That good of total closeness to Jesus that is eternally and securely ours in heaven can still be truly ours here on earth. Because that's the beauty of it, is that heaven begins now. Heaven is not some place. Heaven is total communion with God, where I am sharing life with him. In fact, the older understanding of the heavens was not someplace far away, but it was spheres, right? That there are concentric circles, and the heavens and the air were often the same, the same uh, word was used for both of them. And so the heavens are what I'm in right now in a very real way. I am enveloped in God's presence. We don't think that way very often. When we think our Father who art in heaven, what we mean is absentee dad who's very far away. <laughs> but that's not the reality. The reality is the heavens are very close. I can feel far away from them because I can, I can turn away, but God is right there. I, I can just look around me and look within me and realize God is the very foundation of my existence. And so what I'm hoping for Right? What I have the courage to desire and that desire that moves me forward through difficulties, I'm desiring Christ's presence. 
And I have a reason to desire it because the faith teaches me and experience, if I'm looking out for it, confirms that God is very present to me right now. And I can look forward to when there's that presence that is not um, as if through a, a, a blurry window or a mirror, but is face to face and I can see it all clearly and there's no chance of losing it anymore. Right? So that's the hope for eternal life after death. But eternity starts now. And so hope also extends to the here and now. The concrete situation of my, uh, of my life right now. That's where I'm also hoping for God's presence. But I said it's a theological virtue. Which means that it's something God gives. But it's also something that I exercise. So how do I grow in hope? By hoping. It's like, how do I grow in courage? By courageous action. By repeated courageous actions make me more able to be courageous when the moment calls for it. The same for prudence, for temperance. If I make a habit, but not a habit as in this mindless routine, this automation, but this habit as in this is how I am forming my character to be naturally disposed to do this, that's how I allow a virtue to be deeply embedded within me. So with hope, the, the, the way that you grow in it is when the situation is humanly hopeless, right? When you look around and you're like, there's no good solution to this. You train yourself to say, okay, I desire God. I, I desire him, his power, his mercy. I desire heaven, which is endless time with him. How can I see him here? How can I train myself to not forfeit that desire when it seems very distant, but instead to say, I choose right now to hope? Because you can choose to despair too. And we do it all the time. It, it, on a natural level, I just had that, hope, uh, that, that choice driving up here today. I was actually explaining it to somebody. It was very embarrassing. It's something I haven't done since high school. I ran out of gas. <laughs> Because right? I, was, I was just driving up here, and I was like, la preparing for my talk, talking on the phone, whatever. And then it just says, you're at zero. I was like, I'm at zero. I'm nowhere near a gas station. If you've ever driven to Clovis, there's a whole lot of nothing between here and Clovis. I just, I ask my supercomputer, uh, I say like, supercomputer, also known as Siri, uh, tell me where the nearest gas station is, because I'm at zero. And I'm hoping it's like two, three hours, uh, three miles away. It's like 14 miles away. It's like, all right, God, I can either start weeping right now in despair, or I could just say, you got to get me there. All right, I'm going to believe in you. I'm going to really desire that you're going to make this happen. And turns out they gave me quite a buffer in, um, in how many miles I have before zero is actually zero. But see, uh, on the natural level there, I had the moment of choice of do I hope and therefore keep going? Or do I stop in despair and say, this is impossible. And so I'm just gonna stop the car, cry a little bit, maybe call someone for help, but not even try. Uh, on the spiritual level, Hope serves a similar function. where It's when things seem completely, uh, well, for lack of a better word, hopeless, impossible. 
we have this moment where we say, okay, am I going to trust that God is who he says he is? Am I going to trust that he is who he revealed himself, even in my own life, to be? Or am I going to forfeit that desire in my heart for his presence to carry me through this? We all have that choice, and we all have those moments that we can look back to. Because the devil, one of the ways that he tries to trap us is by taking us out of the present moment. right? So he will either remind us of our faults and our failures in the past and have that discourage us. Or he will project our fear into the future and say, you know how terrible things are right now? Welcome to the rest of your life, buddy. It's going to be terrible. And so we never quite catch that present moment because we're always either lamenting the past or fretting about or fearing the future. Whereas the Lord, when we meet him in the present moment, even if we can't see him, when we make that choice to say, Lord, I'm going to hope that the kingdom of heaven is all around me right at this moment. I'm going to hope that eternal life starts right now. And so I'm going to hope. That means let that desire live in my heart that you will make your power and your mercy felt for me. If we're able to do that, it actually can heal our past and calm our future. Because at that moment then, when we make that choice to hope, we actually can think back to, okay, why can I hope in Jesus? So I, can, I can think of many times that I've let him down and so many different people down. I can think of so many times that other people have let me down. I can even think of times that I've prayed to him and I haven't gotten what I asked for. But if in that moment I choose to say, okay, Jesus, I know you're here. And I desire to experience you. Then I can think back on the moments that he made his power and his mercy known. What I love is that this talk providentially happens right after what was our gospel reading for this past Sunday? Who was paying attention? The tra- oh my gosh, you all were paying attention. I love it. The Transfiguration. We have some people who attend the Byzantine Divine Liturgy, so you are excused from knowing what the Latin uh, uh, lectionary had. So it was the Transfiguration. Why? Why did Jesus do that? Was it just like, hey guys, I want to show you something. I, I, I got this trick that I can do. Don't tell the other guys about it. Like, well, why? What was the point of the transfiguration? Glimpse of heaven to give us hope. Did you two like, did you coordinate that? Because that's exactly what it is. It was a glimpse of, I need you to see who I am. Because you're going to see the darkest day the world has ever seen. You're going to see me defeated, weak, a failure, killed. And I'm going to need you to remember who I am. Because at that moment, you'll forget. At that moment, you won't be able to see. At that moment, you will be so confused with your own emotions and your grief that you will not be able to know that I am God. And so I need to give you a glimpse and I need you to hold that in your memory. I need you to treasure it in your heart so that when the darkness comes, you can look to the light of that day and realize he is who he says he is. I can still have this desire alive in my heart and I can let that desire move me forward through this darkness and difficulty. So I remember hearing a homily about transfiguration moments when I was in in seminary and I hadn't had all that much suffering up to that point. 
And so I didn't see the value of it, but I still thought, oh, that's pretty cool. It's good to have like moments to reflect on that were really good for when things get really hard. Well, now a few years later, there's a broken heart in every pew, right? There's, there's not a person who's not dealing with stuff. And when I say stuff, I mean serious stuff. And I have the greatest honor of my life, which is to journey with people through their stuff. But there's no way to remain unaffected by that. And so there's thousands of broken hearts in my parish, and so my heart breaks thousands of times. And I now see the reason for the transfiguration moments. Because so much of our life here on earth is not a transfiguration mountain, it's Mount Calvary. So much of our life here on earth is that we are drowning in darkness and we feel that God is this distant mirage. So we need to hold fast to those transfiguration moments and think, when has God shown himself to be trustworthy? And how can that help me now to trust in him? All of that was a tangent, but I think it was worth it. <laughs> Back to the talk. So we talked a little bit about what is hope, but we need to briefly talk about what it is not. It is not mere wishful thinking. I already touched on that a little bit. It's not only concerned with the distant future, it is not a blindness to the difficulties. What it is, is looking at all of the difficulties, staring into the darkness, which is terrifying, right? When you actually face all that's hard, instead of trying to escape it through distractions, drugs, uh, a, a life of seeking pleasure, because always what we're seeking is the the peace and communion of Jesus. But when we don't feel it immediately, we, we reach to other comforts to distract us from the fact that God is not immediately there for me to touch. That his answer to my crying, pleading prayer might not come right away or it might not come clearly. So we distract ourselves in so many ways, but what hope needs is for us to look at all the difficulties straight on. To be able to look at all the reasons why we should be hopeless. And in the midst of that, to be able to look just beyond them as well. And see Jesus with us. Sometimes in some forms of therapy, people will be invited to see, where was Jesus in your traumatic event? And they may... And they, I see what happened there. Uh, um, and in that moment, they might think, Father, that's the most insensitive thing that I've ever heard anyone say. How could Jesus have been there during the most traumatic, worst event of my life? And sometimes it's because we're, we're looking for Christ as we see him glorious. Right? We're looking for transfiguration, Christ. We're looking for this blinding light. But really, in a lot of those moments, if we're able to look right into the difficulty and sit with it a bit, we can recognize in the midst of the darkness that darkest day that ever was. And we can there see Jesus. We can see Christ on the cross. And we can see ourselves on the cross next to him. And we can realize, I thought he was so far away. But he's actually incredibly close. 
I thought that he, from his position of power, would take away my suffering, but instead, he's there suffering with me. And that hope, that desire that I have for closeness to him, it's being realized right now in pain. But if I cling to him here, in this moment, then that hope can be realized in glory, in endless communion. What is hope? Hope is, is a graced confidence that God will make good on his promises. And what were his promises? Well, he promised us a kingdom of heaven. He, he promised us that in my father's house there are many rooms and I have gone to prepare for you uh, a place to be with me. But he also promised I am with you always until the end of time. And so hope is a confidence based in grace that God is here with you, right here and now, in the midst of the difficulties. It might not be here in power and glory the way I understand it. He's here from his glorious throne on the cross, suffering with me, suffering for me, close to me nevertheless. Okay, so now we get to the how-to's. What you actually came here for. Up to this point, you're like, all right, Father, that's all pretty abstract. How do I actually do it? Well, first, get to know Jesus. Not just like get to know who the historical figure of Jesus Christ was. Get to know him as who he is for you. For you specifically. Now, how do we get to know him? Too often, we will... Do, we will read all sorts of theology. We'll read, we will read this blog and that blog. We'll read the stories of the saints. We'll do all and everything other than sit with the Gospels. But if you did nothing else in your spiritual life in terms of reading, other than reading through all four Gospels on repeat, you would probably develop a deeper spirituality than the person who's all over the place trying to read anything and everything. Because in the Gospels, you get to know Jesus. Now, how do you read the Gospels? I mean, part of it, commentaries are good. If you don't know what a word means, if you're confused about something, there's so many great resources out there. But I would say the way that you get to know Jesus more than you just get to know about Jesus is to use that imagination that he's given you. Right? He, he made you human, right? Having an imagination is one of the beautifully human things that we have. That we, utilizing our bodily senses and our mind, and that place where they meet in the imagination, we can think, we can put ourselves into a position where we are not physically right now. And so place yourself in the scene. Learn to be with Jesus in the Gospels. So that then you can learn to have him be with you in your life's difficult events. Right? If in the Gospels you're reading through them and you say, okay, where am I here? He's healing the leper. Who am I today? Oh, I'm feeling pretty strong today. I'm one of his apostles. I'm helping the leper. Or I'm helping the the lame person. I'm picking him up. And oh, I don't have to pick him up because they have their own strength of legs now. Awesome. I'm on Jesus' team. Hoorah. There's another day where it's like, I'm powerless. I'm lame. I'm crippled. Or I'm deaf, I can't can't hear God today. I'm blind, I just can't see him anywhere. Put yourself in those scenes. What do you see? What do you smell? What do you feel? Jesus, when you look at him, what does he look like? For many of us now and forevermore, he's going to look like Jonathan Rumi. 
And that's okay. He's a good actor. I like The Chosen. It's just fine. You might still be in the Jim Caviezel crowd. Or you might have the blessed grace of just having your own eyes of Jesus to gaze upon. But allow your imagination to place you into the scene. Get comfortable being with Jesus in those moments. Because then what that unlocks is that you can live through the realities of sacred scripture and then have the realities of sacred scripture imbue your daily living. One such reality that I want to reflect upon is the apostles. What did they have? It's what you said that is making hope difficult. Fear. Lots of it. Right? It says that they locked themselves in an upper room for fear, and it was a completely legitimate fear. Because the one that they loved most, the one that they fearlessly followed before, well, he was killed. And where they were before fearless, now they were fearful. Put yourself in that room in your prayer. Bring with you all of the fears that you have, all of the reasons why you have to forfeit joy, all of the reasons why everything you had hoped for, right? A great church. Maybe you came into the church during a time when everybody was happy to be Catholic. It seemed like all of us were on the same page and we were just going for it. And now it's like, if you see Catholic in a headline, you're like, oh, what a, whatever bishops say about this or that. I don't even want to read it. Oh no, Pope Francis is a microphone on. <laughs> Sorry, that was disrespectful. I meant specifically when it's an airplane interview. There's, there's... Frequently things are out of context. There we go. We'll just leave it there. Um, but we have all of this fear and this anxiety. We might think of the political uh, realities of right now. We might think of our own families. Or we might think of our own faith. We might sit there and reflect and say, oh, I'm scared. I don't even believe anymore. Yes, the teachings of the church, that was a few years ago. Now, I, I, don't, I might not even believe in Jesus. Like, what's going on? Bring that into that upper room. And then let yourself experience the fulfillment of hope, which is Jesus coming through the wall and saying, peace, peace be with you. See, that's what hope gives us in the moment. Not always that experience, but the desire for that experience, which keeps us moving forward. If they were utterly hopeless and totally in despair, they wouldn't be together huddled in a room. It's clear they were still waiting for something. There was some tiny bit of hope there. If they were completely in despair, they would have all dispersed. They still had some hope, which kept them together, kept them in the church, so that Jesus can come be with them. So first, get to know Jesus as he is. Put yourself into the Gospels. Second, be close to Mary, mother of hope, star of the sea. When everybody else despaired, Mary held hope in her heart for the entire church. She's there at the foot of the cross. Place yourself there with her. Look at all your failures and your defeats. Look at all of your dashed hopes. Look at the times that you thought God was going to be alive and powerful and work for you. And instead, he did not come down from the cross to help you. Instead, he stayed up there, defeated. And how angry you were. Bring all of that to him. And let Mary put her arm around you. And say, be well, my child. He will be, he will be victorious.
Believe as I believe. Desire as I desire. Right? That's the beautiful thing about a mother's presence is that it can comfort us. When we're scared, when we're sick, when we need someone, mom is there. We have a beautiful example of it right now. (laughs) Mom's there and baby's good. Let Mary share the hope in her immaculate heart with your broken heart when you need it. Jesus and Mary, get close to them. Learn who they are. Not just who they are historically, but who they are for you. And then let that inspire the kind of hope in your heart that the early Christians had. Because they had something that we tend to lack, which was a radical faith that gave them a dauntless hope. Right? Because only a radical faith, only a, I believe absolutely and positively in Jesus Christ, allows me to then personalize that faith of saying, and so I believe in his love for me, and I have the courage to desire, to desire closeness with him, eternal closeness with him in heaven, but that closeness which begins right now, even in the midst of my darkness. Right? The early Christians had that to such a degree that they would go to their death with smiles on their faces. Today, around the world, Nigeria is a place where there are still plenty of martyrs being made. Plenty of other places around the globe where Christians are still being killed and often still doing it heroically. With a joy that the world has not taken away because they have a hope that has not been extinguished. Why? Because they had a radical faith. They had a total commitment to Christ. Which, what does that entail? Well, very often, what we're scared of that makes faith difficult is not just our own suffering, but more others. We think, oh, no, no, God, I don't need you to take care of me, but I need you to take care of these other people. And by that, I mean, I need to take care of these other people. Instead of realizing, God, you love everyone that I love infinitely more than I do. You've given me the honor of being able to love them through me. Like the fact that you have chosen me as an instrument, but I know that I'm only that. I know that you are the primary one that loves them and cares for them. So we have that for other people. We have that for whatever our mission is in life, uh, for whatever apostolate we may have, whatever job or career we might pursue. We have that for our own selves, where we have this radical faith of saying, Jesus, you do not need me in order to take care of all of this. But you still give me the great honor of being able to participate in your work. And so I have the courage to face whatever life will throw at me. Knowing that Jesus is the one ultimately who is able to take care of me. And I can desire closeness with him because I trust in his promises. But do we have a radical faith that says, you know what, I'm going to live the difficult Christian life even though it makes no human sense at times because I know that God is trustworthy. In order to do that, we have to stay close to the saints, those early Christian martyrs and the apostles, St. Peter. He gives us our third to last lesson. So don't worry, there's still some more. Don't worry, we're coming close to the end, but 
hate to say it, there's more. So St. Peter, remember what he did that was pretty, pretty dang cool when Jesus was walking on water? What did Peter do? He walked on water too, which is pretty dang cool. That, that is absolutely impossible, but for the grace of God. And he did that because he had hope in that moment that Jesus who called him could make this happen. He had no earthly reason to believe that he could do what Jesus did. But he had hope. He had this desire that Jesus was trustworthy. And he let that desire lead him out of the boat and onto the water. And then everything went well, right? No, we really need to read our Gospels. No, not everything went well. It went well for a step and then another step. And then what broke it all down? What plunged him into the depths of, at that moment, fear and despair? Great spiritual maxim when I'm freaking out, no matter what's happening. Eyes on Jesus, eyes off me. Very often we talk about how he looked at the waves. Maybe not. Maybe he looked inside. And he said, I can't possibly be doing this. Me, Peter, I'm I'm the screw-up. Like, I, I mess up all the time. I can't possibly be doing this. I cannot take another step. When it was eyes off Jesus, eyes on me, he started sinking. When there was eyes on Jesus, eyes off me, he was able to do the incredible, the impossible, that which only grace can do. So, eyes on Jesus. Learn to know who he is. Stay close to Mary. Let her share her hope with you. Read about the saints. Right? Very often we'll read all these heroic stories, these great biographies, and that's fine. But let's pepper in some stories of the saints as well so we can be inspired by the hope that they had. So we might think, I'm the only person ever who hasn't felt the presence of God. And then it's like, oh, turns out every saint that ever lived had that experience. I'm the only one who had a past as wretched as mine. And then you read through it and you're like, ooh, gosh, Augustine, dang. (laughs) You might say, I have the hardest situation that has ever, ever been, uh, anybody's had to endure. I just have this physical suffering and it's just terrible. And it's like, oh, Damien and Molokai, literally leprosy. Ooh, St. Paul, man, he's listing his sufferings like crazy. And that's not to diminish your own difficulty, but to give you hope in the midst of them, to realize if Jesus worked so powerfully in them, he can work so powerfully in me. And I can kind of catch their hope. Just like Mary shared her hope with us, we realize as I, as I read about the saints, I'm a member of the community of the saints, and I could say, oh, Philip Neary, you had it tough in that period of your life. Oh, Philip Neary, you're here. Um, can, can you help me in this period of my life? Let the saints be your friends. Which leads me to the second to last point. Who are your friends? And what's your conversation like with them? Your friends can help you grow your, your hope. Or they can help you forfeit it. Are your friends those who are always just talking about how everything's wrong? And how they're not capable of getting it through, getting through it. And poor victim, oh, everybody hates me. Just, just please take all my stuff. 
And that's all you ever get from them? And then when you try to share, they say, oh, that's the worst. Oh, let's just lament all of it. If those are your friends, that's going to be you. Now, it's not to say ditch the people who are going through stuff, but it's to say lift the conversation up. I love the, the image that's used all over the place now. Be a thermostat, not a thermometer. <laughs> right? Don't match the level in the room. Make the level in the room. If you realize in my friend group, in a lot of my conversations, it is just, I was about to say, just complaining. It, it is just um, pointing out all that is wrong. Be the one that points out where Jesus is in the midst of it all. Invite him into that moment, because otherwise you will be consumed by darkness. And if you have friendships, where that is just absolutely off the table. They will never see the light of Christ. They do not want you to have any joy or any hope in your life. Bring that to the Lord and say, Lord, is is this something? Do I need distance in this relationship? Because it's not leading me closer to hope and therefore it's robbing me of joy. Not robbing me, but leading me to forfeit my joy. So check your friends. Help your friends and make the saints your friends. And then finally, I'm going to have extended theft, plagiarism, just straight up going to steal from the best. Usually I steal from, oh heck, a lot of different people, but that other Father Mike, he's got good stuff and uh, a few others. But today, I'm going to go to Augustine. Now we're ending with this. It's going to be an extended quote, so persevere. Be with me because it's really good. But it's the whole reading from the Office of Readings toward the end of the year. And I'm going to use the A word in this, right? In Lent, we're not supposed to say Alleluia, but we're able to in this context, all right? So don't worry. Don't call the Pope on me. We're okay. I'm not breaking church law. Augustine says, Let us sing Alleluia here on earth while we still live in anxiety so that we may sing it one day in heaven in full security. Why do, we live in, why do we now live in anxiety? Can you expect me not to feel anxious when I read, Is not man's life on earth the time of trial? Can you expect me not to feel anxious when the words still ring in my ears, Watch and pray that you will not be put to the test? Can you expect me not to feel anxious when there are so many temptations here below that prayer itself reminds us of them? When we say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Every day we make our petitions. Every day we sin. Do you want me to feel secure when I am daily asking pardon for my sins and requesting help in time of trial? Because of my past sins, I pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And then because of the perils still before me, I immediately go on to add, Lead us not into temptation. How can all be well with people who are crying out with me, deliver us from evil? And yet, brothers and sisters, while we are still in the midst of this evil, let us sing Alleluia to the good God who delivers us from evil. Even here amidst trials and temptations, let us, let all men sing Alleluia. God is faithful, says Holy Scripture, and he will not allow you to be tried beyond your strength. So let us sing Alleluia even here on earth. Man is still a debtor, but God is faithful. 
Scripture does not say that he will not allow you to be tried, but that he will not allow you to be tried beyond your strength. Whatever the trial, he will see you through it safely and so enable you to endure. You have entered upon a time of trial, but you will come to no harm. God's help will bring you through it safely. You are like a piece of pottery, shaped by instruction, fired by tribulation. When you are put into the oven, therefore, keep your thoughts on the time when you will be taken out again. For God is faithful, and he will guard both your going in and your coming out. But in the next life, when this body of ours has become immortal and incorruptible, then all trials will be over. Your body is indeed dead, and why? Because of sin. Nevertheless, your spirit lives because you have been justified. Are we to leave our dead bodies behind then? By no means. Listen to the words of Holy Scripture. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells within you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your own mortal bodies. At present, your body receives its life from the soul, but then it will receive it from the spirit. Oh, the happiness of the heavenly alleluia, sung in security, in fear of no adversity. We shall have no enemies in heaven. We shall never lose a friend. God's praises are sung both there and here, but here they are sung in anxiety, there in security. Here they are sung by those destined to die, there by those destined to live forever. Here they are sung in hope, there in hope's fulfillment. Here they are sung by wayfarers, there by those living in their own country. So then, my brothers and sisters, let us sing now, not in order to enjoy a life of leisure, but in order to lighten our labors. You should sing as wayfarers do. Sing, but continue your journey. Do not be lazy, but sing to make your journey more enjoyable. Sing, but keep going. What do I mean by keep going? Keep on making progress. This progress, however, must be in virtue. For there are some, the apostle warns, whose only progress is in vice. If you make progress, you will be continuing your journey. But be sure that your progress is in virtue, true faith, and right living. Sing then, but keep going. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, dearest Lord, giver of life, giver of faith, hope, and love, we ask for an increase of hope in our hearts and our lives. We turn to you and ask for that vision by which we can see you in our difficulties. Suffering on the cross, but triumphing overall in that very self-oblation. Lord, we need you, for you know the brokenness of all of our hearts. You know all of the pain that is in this place. And so, this night we ask that you may fill us with hope. Hope in your presence now, and hope in your presence forevermore in heaven. We make this prayer knowing the power of your name, Jesus, our Lord. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you all.